Well, good morning, friends, and welcome again to Capital Press Fairfax. My name's Rob, a pastor here. As our worship team comes down off the platform, let's chat Thanksgiving, right? No doubt many of us are making plans, preparing for Thanksgiving. I've got some Capital Fellows here this morning. One of the things I get the privilege of doing is um, once or twice a month, I get to have dinner with all of our fellows, and we chat about life, we chat about leadership, and this past dinner that we shared together, we talked about Thanksgiving traditions. And um, we've got some fellows, one fellow from a Haitian background, one fellow from a Vietnamese background. They were sharing about how they uh, kind of put in their culture and cuisine into our American holiday. That was interesting. We have one fellow whose mom is a math teacher. And so she said that every time they get together for Thanksgiving, they actually have this mathematic uh, academic quiz as part of like their family tradition. And I was like, wow, it is amazing how different we all are, right? Like, because I, uh, I don't come from a clan that uh, participates in many academic competitions. Our, our people are more of an eating competition kind of, of people. Um, we have a Thanksgiving tradition as a church family that Patrick talked about that after, after I preach, we're going to have the chance as a church family to share some of the things that we are thankful for, some of the ways that we've seen God provide for and sustain for us over the past year. And I would imagine for some of us, this week and this Thanksgiving, it might be difficult to find gratitude, right? Some of us uh, didn't make it back home for Thanksgiving last year, right? And so we might be pulling up to the driveway to the family gathering, and there is two years of family drama and mess that have accumulated over that time. Um, some of us over the past year or so might have realized that there are now new political and cultural divisions among our families, and so uh, it's hard to be grateful. Uh, some of us know full well that um, cancer and addictions and relational brokenness, they are no respecter of seasons and holidays. And so it can be hard to, to experience gratitude in the week ahead. And as we come to this story, as we come to this parable this morning, the final parable in our series on the storytelling Savior, there's a way that we could read it, and this story would provide for us some information and some direction, but really not much to be grateful for. And there's a way for us to read it this morning that really points us to all that we have to be thankful for, even in our darkest of days. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 10. You can turn there in your Bible. You can go there on your device. We'll look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's hear now the Word of God. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Mighty and merciful Father, we need to hear from you this morning. We need um, your word because we remember the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, it lasts forever. So help us to hear from you this morning, Lord. Open our eyes. Give us ears to hear. Um, We're all coming from a lot of different places. We've had a lot of different experiences this weekend, but we all need the same thing. We need to see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go on a brief journey this morning, and the journey I want to take us on is going to begin with looking at the story, and then I want to look at the conversation, and then wrap up with what does this all mean for our lives. So the story, then the conversation, and then what does this all mean for our lives, starting with the story, The Good Samaritan. Got a challenge before me this morning because this is a very familiar story, right? Probably one of the most popular, one of the most well-known stories that Jesus tells, right? It has made its way into the collective mind of humanity. Maybe you can make a case for the prodigal son, but really, Good Samaritan it's, it's made its way into our everyday common language, right? If we go across the parking lot and we go into Van Dyke Park, uh, it's interesting, right? If, if we, we were over there uh, hanging out by the slides and we said to someone there, hey, um, what is a good Samaritan? How, how would you define, how would you describe a good Samaritan? You know what they're not going to say? They're not going to say, hmm, a well-thought-of individual from an ancient Near Eastern ethnic group that's defined by religious and geographic distinctives. Right? That's not going to be their description of a good Samaritan. They are going to take their description from the content of this story. Right? Rembrandt, Van Gogh, they've painted depictions of this story. Hospitals and organizations, they borrow their names from this story story. So it's obviously well known. It's obviously made its way into our culture and context. Let's, let's look at verse 30. We're going to start with this story. We're going to start with the origin story, if you will, of the Good Samaritan. Verse 30, Jesus says, there was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This journey, it's actually downhill 13, 14 miles. It's kind of known as a rough journey as far as danger. And so Jesus says, he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
All right, so that's the opening scene for the story. And then Jesus introduces two new characters, right? These religious leaders, a, a priest and a Levite. And he says, they come across this scene and they cross over to the other side and they tiptoe right on by. Right, and we don't, who knows why they did this? Maybe it was because they had something in their head of religious purity and ceremonial purity. And so maybe they're like, hey, I can't get involved there. I'll become unclean. Maybe they thought to themselves, hey, whoever did that to that dude might still be around. So I'm not going to stick around to find out if they'll come back. We don't know exactly what their reasons were for ignoring the situation. What we're clear on is they showed zero compassion. They completely ignored this situation. They showed zero compassion. And then we meet the final man, right? You can imagine, if you're hearing this story for the first time, all right, again, it's the most popular story probably Jesus tells for many of us. But if you're hearing the story for the first time, you've never heard it before, the tension's building. Wait a second. The priest walked by, and he didn't do anything? The Levite walked by, he didn't do anything? There's another one going to walk. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's like an average Joe, right? Maybe it's a regular church attender. Like they're going to get their hands dirty with, with ministry and helping this guy out. Maybe that's the deal. And you can see Jesus decides to, to poke at them, right? To poke at those listening, to poke at this man, because he says, no, actually the guy that comes up next and does something is a Samaritan. And some of you would be familiar, right? Jews and Samaritans, significant ethnic and and religious hostility between those two groups. Um, uh, A gentleman named Isaac Asimov, he's he's an author, he's a biochemist. Uh, He is not a believer in any way, was not a believer in any way, but he still helpfully suggests this. He says, we need to think of this story as occurring in Alabama in the 1950s. Right with, with a, a white mayor and a white preacher passing by on the other side and the role of the Samaritan being played by a poor black sharecropper. All right, that, that, that's a, a context a little closer and nearer to ours. And here's an exercise for you to go home and, and think about today. Um, you fill in the blank when it comes to who would be the other today. The, the, the one that you'd just be unfathomable that Jesus would use them as the one who did the right thing in this story. What, what social, political, religious person would you fill in the blank right there? Like, really, Jesus is going to use them? Because that helps you feel the weight of what's going on right here when Jesus is telling this story. To any self-respecting Jew, there would be no such thing as a good Samaritan. All right, that would just not have made sense to them in any way. But it's the Samaritan that shows compassion. It's the Samaritan that sees him in the ditch and doesn't go around the other side, but goes to him, binds up his wound, puts him on his animal, takes him to the inn, writes a blank check and says, hey, whatever this guy needs, I got it. I'll take care of it. It's the Samaritan that does that. The story. So so what's this story give us this morning, right? Right? Best case scenario, this, this story gives us an example of, of radical care and love and compassion. The challenge is this story doesn't tell us why we should show that kind of compassion. 
right? The challenge is it doesn't show us um, how or what is going to sustain us as we try to, to live that kind of life. It doesn't empower or enable us to live that, that way. I think if a lot of us were honest, we read this story and we kind of come out of it feeling like, I don't know, guilty, right? Like, uh, sure, that's, that's what we should do. But if I'm honest, more than not, um, I don't show that kind of radical generosity to strangers on the road. If I'm honest, more often than not, I don't even show that kind of radical generosity and care to the people in my own family or my own neighborhood, right? And so you can walk away from reading the story and uh, you can be with guilt or pride and you can think, well, yeah, isn't that the role of religion in our life is just to guilt us into doing the things that we should do? Like, hey, Rob, surely near the top of your job description is making people feel guilty, right? False. We don't say around here that that guilt changes everything, right? We say, because uh, guilt changes things, right? I mean, guilt can change some things for some time, but grace changes everything. So we don't have a hard time understanding the content of this story, this message, right? That's not, that's not what's difficult for us. What's difficult for us is how do we, how do we live this out? And the question we should ask ourselves when it comes to this story and really any story that Jesus tells is, well, why in the world is he telling this story? Like what got us to this point? Why has Jesus found it necessary to tell a story about a good Samaritan? And so let's, let's move from talking about the story to the conversation. We, we've skipped over verses 25 through 29 and verses 36 and 37, but they're really the key for unlocking all of this, right? So Jesus starts telling this story because somebody asked him a question. And you know what? If you, if you think about the content of the story, you might think someone asked, hey, Jesus, how do I show compassion? You might think that would be the question that got this story going. Or, hey, Jesus, what does it look like to show mercy? But the question is actually from a religious expert, a seminary professor of sorts, a, an expert in the law. And he comes to Jesus and... Um, Luke gives us some director's cut inside information, right? Luke lets us know that he, he wanted to put Jesus to the test. And so we ask him, hey, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? So we know from the word go that we have this less than sincere question coming at Jesus about salvation. And then Jesus does what Jesus often does when he gets a question. He asks a question right back. A lot to learn from that. We should probably do that more often. He, Jesus says, okay, well, how do you internal, uh, inherit eternal life? What does the law say? Like, how do you read it? And to be fair, the law says like 700 some things. But this lawyer gives a nice summary, one that Jesus has used himself. He, he takes it from what's called the Shema in Deuteronomy. He says, you should... Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and with all your mind. And then he borrows from Leviticus too, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, I'm good with that. That's a good answer, right? And you think he would stop there, right? Like Jesus said, you got the right answer. That's a good day. Quit while you're ahead. But here's where his motives rise to the surface again. Because, right, what does it say? It said, Luke says, desiring to justify himself, he asked, well, who is my neighbor? 
right? Who, who is my neighbor? You see, see what the, the lawyer wants to do there is he's, he's, he's wanting to know what the standard is. In the culture of the day, in the religious culture of the day, Jews would have thought that the definition neighbor really only extended to other Jews, right? And so he's kind of wanting to confirm his inclination. He's like, hey, what's the standard here? How do I know that I'm good? How do I know that I can check the box, that I've met the standard? Why don't you let me know what my neighbor is, who my neighbor is? And, and we get this story. Jesus says, okay, well, let me tell you a story. And friends, this story does what so many of Jesus' stories do. So many of his interactions, they all do this same thing. They, they um, reveal to us, they put on full display two things. One, that as people, we are, we are absolutely horrible at grasping what the standard is. And two, we are even worse at meeting the standard. Horrible at grasping the standard and, and even worse at meeting the standard. Just, just take a brief walk through some of Jesus' stories and interactions, right? Rich young ruler, you want to know what it means to follow me? Well, would you be willing to leave your wealth? Right, Peter, you think you know what forgiveness is? You think you're radical because you say, oh, I'm going to forgive seven times? Actually, no, Peter, try. It's more like seven times 70, and let me tell you a story about that. Right? You think it's about the outside and how things look? Let me tell you a story about a couple houses, some builders, and a storm that came. You think you know the love of the Father and you've got your head wrapped around that and that it's really about following the rules and doing things uh, to earn the Father's love? Let me tell you about a father and two sons. Time and time again, Jesus is going after that. And so he says to this religious um, expert. You really think you've loved God with all your heart, soul, and strength? You really think you've loved your neighbor as yourself? You have no idea. You don't get it. Right? The heart of God is for all nations. From the beginning, he said, it's through Abraham that I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And so this, this religious expert, it really should be a warning for many of us, right? This, this religious expert shows us you can be close to the things of God, you can be knowledgeable of the things of God, and you completely miss the heart of God, right? It's not what you do that's going to help you inherit eternal life. You can't. It's the, the heart of the gospel is not centered on what you do. It's not even centered on how well you neighbor. The gospel says actually, it's the neighboring of Jesus that saves us, right? It's because we were neighbored by him that we have salvation. We can't inherit it. He gives it to us. It's Jesus that comes along and finds us in the ditch, not half dead, but completely dead. It's Jesus that comes and puts us on himself our sin on himself, and brings healing to us. Jesus doesn't check us into an inn, but he checks us into the family of God and gives us an eternal home, right? And it doesn't just cost him a few denarii. It cost him his life on the cross. His blood shed, his body broken. That's how we get salvation. What the religious expert should have done at that point, should have said, oh, 
Now I see. Yeah, I'm nothing like that good Samaritan. Now I see I haven't, I haven't loved God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. I, I see that I need some help. I need redemption. Jesus, do you know where I can find that? That should have been res- the response of the, the legal expert, and that should be our response when we read this story of, yeah, I might have done a nice, I, I might have been a good Samaritan once, or four times, or five times. But if you look at my life, it's clear there are things that I love other than God. And that I love myself most often, more often than not. It's clear, friends, um, we cannot justify ourselves. Jesus is lasering in, and he just wants this religious expert to see. You can't justify yourself. I know you're trying to justify yourself, but you can't. If we could justify ourselves, then what do we make of the cross? Right? If we could justify our, ourselves, then the cross is just a spectacle of futility and despair. Right? But the gospel teaches us that the cross displays how far God is willing to go to rescue us from ourselves and from our enemies. That's how we get out of the ditch. It's because of the cross. The story, the conversation, um, what does all this mean for us? Thanksgiving week, 2021, Fairfax, Virginia. Um, we could learn a lot from this parable. It speaks to racial and ethnic uh, divides. It speaks to the beauty of the church working to love and, and share others. But there's one point I want you to take away this morning. It's this. Um, It's the true and greater Samaritan's compassion towards us that frees us to live this kind of radical compassion with deep gratitude. All right, it's it's the true and greater Samaritan's. Now, to be clear, all right, Jesus is not ethnically Samaritan. Let's just all be clear on that. But he, this Samaritan points us to a true and greater Samaritan. And to the extent that we understand what we have in him, we'll be able to live this way. And we'll be deeply grateful. Right? Because when we try to justify ourselves, it leads to one of two things. Um, pride or despair. Like that's your only options when you're trying to justify yourself. Uh, and, and you move through life uh, either resentful that others aren't living up to the standard you've held yourself to that's still woefully insufficient. Or you lead, live your life just completely in despair because you know you don't meet the standard. All right, it's exhausting to try to justify yourself because you don't exactly know where the standard is. And so that way lies madness. But when you see that it's the true and greater Samaritan that has, has justified you, that frees you up. That frees you. Uh, you're not living now to justify yourself, but you can live to glorify God. You're not living to justify yourself. You can, you can live to love and serve and care for others. You have what you need. God's promise to be your hope and provision while you get your hands dirty, uh, loving and caring and serving people. That's the story of the gospel. That's the message of this story. Um, and if God loves you enough... Um, to give his only son, that you might be justified, that you might be brought into a relationship with him, then he also loves you in the midst of your cancer. 
He also loves you in the midst of your battles with addiction or the, the, your loved one's battles with addictions. He also loves you when your kid's sick and you're scared. He's taken care of your greatest needs. So why in the world would he neglect the needs of everyday life? When we see all that we have in Christ, it does enable us to love others radically. And when we sit around our tables at Thanksgiving, the single thing, the one thing we have to be more grateful than anything else is that we don't have to justify ourselves. That we have a wonderful Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ and the reality that we do not have to justify ourselves. Uh, give us hope in this this morning. In his name we pray. Amen.